0: Hello and welcome to The Word Is Out, a mission-centric podcast featuring Dr. Alan Meenan, pastor and preacher and teacher of God's Word for over 40 years, and now the founder and faithful leader of a missions organization that reaches out to the world with the Word of God. Alan, we have a distinguished guest with us today. Please tell us about
1: him. We have uh, Dr. Uh, Billy Abraham, who is a professor at Perkins uh, Theological Seminary in Dallas, the world's leading expert on epistemology.
0: Well, that's perfect for us because we are going to be uh, covering, broadly speaking, the entirety of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Think of it as a discussion on the big picture. Uh, Now, I have to warn you that uh, Billy, too, is an Irishman, so the accent factor here could be interesting. Billy, welcome.
2: Delighted to be here.
0: Uh, First of all, Billy, please help us help the neophyte, at least on the subject, me, um, with the definition of epistemology and why it's key to us as we study the
2: Bible. Well, epistemology is just a fancy word for how you know what you know. And then it branches out into theories of evidence, theories of justification, theories of truth, theories of intellectual virtue. And it's crucial for scripture uh, because on the Christian side, um, I think the central move that's made is that God is made known through divine revelation. That's to say, God is a very unique personal agent, and agents are made known through what they do, what they say. And the cru- one crucial element for relating revelation to Scripture is that Scripture enshrines the divine revelation <coughs> that was a given initially in Israel and then was uh, picked up and uh, explored in its fullest expression in Christ, the Son of God. And then beyond that, you have the interpretation of that revelation given by people like Paul. So, the at least in the modern period, uh, there was a, there's been a lot of objections to divine revelation, which I'll not bore you with. <laughs> But uh, in my own judgment, um, if God does not reveal himself and we don't have access to that, and scripture is absolutely crucial for getting access to that, I'm going to give my money back and become an agnostic Jew.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i It's okay to try to follow that up. <laughs> an agnostic Jew. <G. clears throat> Well, I mean, I, 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 mean, obviously what Billy has said is, is, is in fact the case. I mean, how does one know God? Um, and, uh, uh, and I think the answer to that is the only way we can truly know God. I mean, there are all kinds of ideas about how, uh, how one can know God uh, existentially and um, uh, in, in various other ways. But um, as Christians, we always look to the source documents of our faith and say that it's through Scripture because Scripture reveals who God is. Um, so crucial to uh, uh, to our understanding of Scripture is if, in fact, this is God's Word. Um, and uh, if uh, truly um, we understand it to be divine revelation to humankind, this is how God speaks to humankind, then, of course, nothing is more important than understanding it. Um, so in that sense, um, I would say that uh, uh, we we understand the nature of God in properly understanding His Word. Um, And then we go from there.
0: Um, When you look up just epistemology and well, on the internet, and if you Google it, uh, the definition that comes back is the investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion.
2: That's a classic way of thinking about it. And it goes right back to Plato and Socrates. And um, it was a central, that that captures what was the stake in the modern period. Um, So the crucial thing was how do you distinguish, say, just opinion, your opinion about something from genuine knowledge? And it had to be, you had to have (coughs) evidence for it, you had to have justification for it. But effectively, that went under in the late 60s, early 70s in the trade. And uh, so, part of what's at stake is that, that's what we would call an epistemic practice. So, one way to figure out what you know is that if you've got a particular proposition and you're worried about whether it's true or false, is to figure out what's relevant evidence and does the evidence apply. However, there are lots of things that we know for which we've got no evidence whatsoever in that sense. Um, I know that my name is Billy. I know that Ireland is an island. I know it's wrong to roast babies alive at 3 o'clock in the morning for fun. I know that there's a, a door over there to my left. And if you were to ask me to provide the justification in that sense, it would actually, it, 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 you can't do it, which is why that version of epistemology ended up in radical skepticism. So the late 60s, early 70s, there was a revolution. And the revolution has had many ramifications that I'll not go into, but one of the ramifications is is that we need to think about knowledge as being produced by a reliable process. So, for example, if someone says, well, how do you know there's a door over there? Because, well, I've got perceptual capacities. And I trust my capacities, or I don't. (laughs) How do I know what I had for breakfast this morning? I consult my memory. (laughs) I have no sort of justification beyond memory, perception, intuition, um, other sorts of uh, capacities that are central to my being as what I want to call a very complex sort of um, truth-detecting epistemic organism. So what emerges on the other side of that, which is explored in great detail in more recent work in the Epistemology of Theology, which I've written about and edited a book on is that um, I mentioned earlier, revelation is absolutely crucial, but you've also got the possibility of arguing by means of sort of fundamental awareness of the divine. Wesley's notion of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, which is a kind of perception of the divine when you look in detail at what he has to say. There's possibility of, of very good arguments for the existence of God, which have been worked over. And so, My response to that is to say um, that's where the current dictionaries are going to be, but in actual fact where the trade is, there's been this massive revolution. And one of the impacts of that revolution in my own work and relative to what Alan is doing is twofold. One is that it creates space for an appeal to divine revelation in a way that was not really taken seriously in say the 19th and 19th century. The other thing, and here Alan and I might diverge somewhat, I think it's very interesting to look at what I would call epistemic suggestions within Scripture. So it's not just that we look upon Scripture as being divine revelation to it's that they're very interesting proposals about how we come within Scripture to know God. For example (coughs) um, the pure in heart will see God. That's a really interesting notion. So what you're saying there is that there's a moral condition for actually coming to perceive the divine, and perception of the divine is an absolutely crucial concept right now with respect to that. Um, the, other one, the other one that I think both of us uh, picked up when we were here as students, uh, if you look at the Exodus account, um, if you read the Exodus epistemically, it's absolutely fascinating you have in the early chapters, total unbelief. Now some of that is due to trauma, which says there's something about the human person at that stage, in pain and agony, incapable of perceiving the promises of God as being possibly fulfilled. And even Moses himself ends up saying, look, I don't believe any of this, why did you ever send me here? And then you get this amazing promise of God saying, I think it's chapter six, you can fix me on the chapters. (laughs) You just wait and see here. So how is God made known? He's made known through his mighty acts in history. And he's made known through his interpretive word, which is given to the prophets, in this case Aaron, alongside the actual events of history. So the amazing thing that you get by the time you get to chapter 15, it's not just the Israelites have come to the conviction, that there's a God who delivers, and that Pharaoh is not in charge. He's not king of the universe. It's it's Yahweh who's in king of the universe, which is the, la- the last chapter. But you have this amazing account whereby God is made known in the account of the Exodus through what God does historically in his deeds and in his word given to the prophet. And that, of course, is picked up and developed further in terms of the revelation of Jesus. So forgive me, that's been a long-winded sort of uh, piece on... What's happened is, uh, in terms of the trade in epistemology over the last uh, 50 years, but I'm fascinated by, by the possibility of beginning to think through what about epistemic suggestions in Scripture itself, which we've missed because we've not had a rich enough repertoire of possibilities in our mind when we've read Scripture.
1: When the Apostle Paul um, affirms, I mean, the, the the tremendous confidence that the New Testament writers have, which always. Astounds me, yep. but when the Apostle Paul comes out and says, um, "I know. I am fully convinced. I know in whom I believed, and persuaded that He's able to do whatever He's able to do." Um, it seems to me that 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 is that is a knowledge born of experience, therefore could be qualify could qualify as opinion, but is affirmed by the community of faith. Paul was, you know, sent, of course. Uh, for a period of time to, uh, to, to embrace, or the community of faith eventually embraced him and affirmed that reality. So when we say um, that uh, we believe, you know, at the, at the heart of Christian doctrine and faith is, is the statement that, I, that, that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, everything rests on that. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul tells us our faith is vain, um, we're fooling ourselves, But the fact is, and this again, this this confidence ringing through the pages of Paul's writing, um, that we know that he is, the fact is that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now it seems to me that that confidence is born um, not only from an experiential uh, uh, feeling, but also uh, embraced by a community. So that as one attempts to understand who God is and to understand the knowledge of God uh, we identify with a particular community so it's no longer a personal opinion per se but it becomes part of a of, of an historic stance I see you frowning. Um
2: yeah we, we share our astonishing um, surprise at someone like Paul I mean who's prepared to die for the faith
1: As with the other disciples Indeed,
2: indeed. And they have a sense of assurance that's extraordinary. Yes. So the question then is, what are the grounds for that? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it's not, I think it's a difference in nuance rather than a big sort of... You
1: wouldn't suggest there are empirical, kind of quasi-empirical data that might substantiate that. The
2: very way in which you talk about that shows that you're sort of still lodged within a vision of sense perception and you don't have a proper sense of the spiritual senses. Um, I
1: don't think
2: empiricism is... Uh, uh, empiricism is a way of saying it has, to be, it has to be settled by appeal to the five senses.
1: Yes, okay. And no, we're not, I'm, okay. Not ta- I'm
2: not talking about that. Okay. But I, I would begin with Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. Yes. And that's a matter of perception mm-hmm. of the risen Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And it's also a matter of miracle, actually. The con- initial confirming evidence, actually, was that at one point he saw and the next point he didn't. Uh-huh, so there was, uh-huh. there was confirmation before whatever you get to the community, this confirmation by miraculous activity, which would need unpacking, which I'll not do here. And then there's the issue of uh, he's challenged about whether this could be the case because on the opponent's position, it doesn't fit with the revelation already given in Israel. So a lot of his work is taken up with showing, no, what's happened to me is not a departure from what happened in the revelation of Israel, in Israel. Uh, And that's the argument in Romans about the appeal to Abraham and justification by grace through faith. So I agree entirely with you that it's confirmed by other testimony, but I'm, and, and I want to say that it's carried within a community which canonizes the documents which actually give us access to all of this. But um, it's, it's the, the role of the community in my judgment at this stage is secondary.
1: Secondary to what?
2: To, Paul has already got the assurance prior to ever the community saying yes, you got it right. So that when he goes up to Jerusalem, he's not going up cap in hand and saying okay, all right gentlemen, did I get it right? No, he's aware of that already.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he is, but it seems to me also that you know the very fact that that uh, he had that encounter on the road to Damascus, I mean that was an experiential thing. I mean you're you're attaching it to to, to the miraculous, which which I would agree with, but you know, how come we we could not term that um, opinion?
2: Because you know, it's not. I mean, Paul, you would be silly to call it opinion. He said, "I saw the risen Lord, and I got healed of my blindness." And this guy showed up who said he'd been talked to by God but and but said, come along. The interesting
1: thing was that no one else on the road saw or heard anything. Well, what's that got to do with it? Well, I mean, that's what personal opinion is, isn't it?
2: No, it's not. It's not per- I mean, I mean if, a,
1: if a guy appears to you with a, with a boiled egg on his head or a fried egg on his head and says, this makes me feel good, you know, you should try a fried egg on your head and make you feel better. But these, they, I mean, but that's that, an that, experiential...
2: That's, no, that's a claim about my particular feelings. This is a claim about perceiving the risen Lord. And it's, it's uh, you know, you're going to have to give proper weight to the perception. And of course, he's already got stories about there being, uh, you know, rumors about this figure being resurrected. Yes. So he said, oh, maybe those folk got it right after all. And I'm going to have to change my, my opinion about their testimony. Mm. Right? So I'm wanting, I'm wanting to, it's not a matter about, you know, you can always invent uh, silly stories. Yeah. In these, in all of these cases, but you've got to deal with the particularity. Here's a figure, who, according to Luke and everything we know about what's going on, says, "Luke, it's not about a bit of funny feeling. It's fine. In fact, I met the risen Lord, and my life is never going to be the same again." And it's confirmed by the uh, healing, and it's confirmed by the testimony of the other disciples, and. It's, it's picked up in the community because it's true. It's not true because it's in the community.
1: No, I'm not suggesting it's true because it's in the community. What I'm suggesting is that if Paul has an experience that, that is a one-off experience, or any of us have an experience that's one-off and, and remains a one-off event, then it, can also, it could always be classified as opinion. But if other people share that, I mean, if I say that I believe in uni- uh, unicorns, you know, but no one else believes in unicorns, then my perception of a unicorn is suspect. But if in fact there is an entire uh, community right. that, that affirms that they also believe in in unicorns, then there's a better chance that unicorns exist.
0: Well, you know, I believe
2: in the little people, so <laughs> Couple of Irishmen talking about little people. We Perfect. believe the little people. So maybe the unicorns are fine. But, <laughs> but what you're what you're missing, and you're missing is that. What about the first person who had an experience of the divine? And that's all they have got to go on.
1: Adamic man, you mean? Yeah,
2: Abraham. God shows up and says, "Hey, I've got good news for you. You're going to have lots of babies, and I'm going to give you some really nice real estate." Mm-hmm. Now it took him a while to figure out that this was really from God. I agree with that. But it wasn't because other people confirmed it. It's because he had further experiences that actually uh, supported that. And so once it you wa- get... But it
1: wasn't a one-off experience. That, no, no. And
2: I'm not saying Paul's, I mean, but the point is you have to give the weight to the one-off experience. Otherwise, none of these experiences Well, that's the beginning point, of
1: course. I mean, yeah,
2: and there's where the fundamental issue is it's, it's partly, I mean you can undercut it in various ways, uh-huh. but if you're, uh, if you're a, a Christian and if you believe the scriptures for the moment, you're a person made in the image of God, potentially with the capacity, you can perceive God in nature, that's general revelation. And the prophets can perceive that God is speaking to them and they are haunted by this haunted by it and Paul is perceiving the risen Lord and at that stage he has to either trust his spiritual senses or not and if you don't have that fundamental basic trust that allows those initial experiences to get off the ground then any support from the community is not going to be very strong in fact it's going to depend upon those experiences themselves
0: so let me ask you this when you're looking at the entirety of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, epistemologically speaking, if I said that correctly, uh, how do you justify the,
2: the validity of the word? I don't. Because I think that what you need, the proper notion, that what, what you need to justify is not scripture per se. Uh, what you justify is a vision of divine revelation, which is mediated through scripture and which is, which is multiple in many and various ways, as Hebrews puts it, God spoke to our, our fathers. And so you, the Bible itself bears witness to a variety of forms of revelation in creation, in conscience, in the history of Israel, in the word given to the prophets, finally and fully when God shows up in the womb of a little teenage girl and ultimately comes among us as his son. So the, di- the dispute about who, how you defend that has to be put sort of the back of the question of the appeal to scripture is the appeal to divine revelation. And there's, uh, that would take longer than a haircut for me to lay out what I think needs to be done at that stage. Um, but it's going to depend upon certain fundamental what I would call epistemic platitudes. And among those platitudes is that you will rely on your spiritual senses. Among those platitudes will be uh, a vision of, a, of, of human beings desperately in need of a savior, which will make sense of the revelation that's given to you. It will involve you yourself entering into some of the experiences that are analogous to what you see in the New Testament and elsewhere. Uh, most famously in Wesley's account, for example, of Romans 8, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. So that would take quite a bit to unpack. And I think that, uh, I mean, I've written a whole book on this called Crossing the Threshold of Divine Revelation. Uh, So I think that's where the debate has to take place. And to come back to the issue of scripture, I think scripture has uh, two crucial roles. One is to mediate divine revelation The other is to make us wise unto salvation. Now part of the way it makes us wise unto salvation is providing crucial information that we wouldn't otherwise have, have, including information about our own sinfulness. But sinfulness which is also engendered by conviction brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart, not simply in a book. So you've got formation by divine revelation mediated in with and through information given through the scriptures. But the other side of it is, is that the scriptures are very difficult books. And if you put Paul up against James, or you put Job over against Deuteronomy, you clearly have very, very interesting tensions here. And I think the point about that is it's not like reading a geometry book. You simply look up the verses, and you look up the answer in the back of the book. Part of what's involved in scripture is that because of its complex internal and and uh, and its uh, uh, thematic arrangements. It requires you to wrestle with these issues because in wrestling with these issues, then you become aware in fact that what's at stake is something that is deep about your own identity, about your own identity as a sinner. And uh, the only way that you're ever going to get out of this is by the grace of God, it's by the coming of a savior, it's by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and then by being received into a community which is going to in fact form you as a disciple and, and, and lead you into uh, a life of pilgrimage.
1: So all of that then you would say, I'm assuming, all of that is realized through a reading and study or an encounter with God through Scripture. I mean what, I, what, what
2: I'm nervous about
1: uh, I'm not nervous about it. <laughs> um, what, what I'm interested in um, is, you know, a, admittedly, you know, God spoke directly to Abraham,
2: and, and to Moses,
1: um, uh, yes, and to Moses and, and to and Jeremiah, yes, and to a whole bunch of the others, yeah, yeah. Yes, of course, and
2: to Paul. Yeah, okay, yes. And if, and if you disagree with me, you're going to hell. <laughs> Did you get it? Only someone only someone who is utterly convinced that they've heard from God would dare say that. Keep going.
1: No, I mean, I would disagree with that because it is, it is that becomes valid as it is uh, affirmed by the community of faith through the canon. I mean the, 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 the community of faith, be it Old Testament or New Testament community. Um, basically have affirmed that God has spoken uh, to Abraham directly, and to Moses, and to Paul, and to all the others. Um, Which community? The community that put together the documents that we call the canon.
2: Which was also a community that put together a creed. Okay. Which put together a list of... But
1: today today we're facing a situation where uh, how does one know God? How how does one have confidence that God exists, that he uh, is in love with humankind, that he has spoken to humankind? Um, Do we anticipate that we will be, uh, I mean, will we anticipate that God will speak directly uh, as he did to Abraham and Moses? Or do we understand that God has now given us a revelation, a a canon uh, in which we can come to, understand oh, yeah. uh, all the things that you mentioned about recognizing that we are sinners in need of a savior, uh, that uh, the, the, the the scripture points us th- in the direction of how we can know God and how we can know salvation and how we can grow in our faith and uh, all the rest of it. Um, I mean is, is there is there some um, way that we can circumvent this, um, this canon so to speak? and And get to know a God who is beyond the canon. I, I don't I mean, i would I would suggest there isn't a way. And, you know, it seems to me that there's a claim of okay. many in the world of different faiths and non-faiths that that have such claims that God has spoken, um, and that their knowledge of God is is a direct. It, but
2: what you've just given is you've given out a license for everybody who's got a book to say, "We've got the book." So,
1: no I'm trying to curb the license of any individual no, to no, say just, yeah. I've heard directly from God
2: no well I mean I, I'm not giving out licenses for people to say anything they want about what they've heard from God uh, in fact and you don't control that either God controls who he speaks to uh, and so if God tells me way back and when I was back in the bogs of Ireland you're not going to be a teacher you're going to be you're going to be called into the ministry and for me the word there were three genders, male, female, and ministers. (laughs) I mean, that was not in the book. That was God sort of speaking to me in a whole variety of ways, and I had to take it seriously. (laughs) Now, of course, quote, it was confirmed by the community and all the rest of it. But But you're asking too many questions at once, my friend. One is, if you want to say, how do you know God? You say, the same way as you know other people. Let me tell you the story of creation, freedom, redemption,
1: and how do you uh, tell that story? You tell that story through the canon.
2: Well, look, people were telling that story before there was a canon of the New Testament. Yeah,
1: the oral okay. tradition that formed sure. the basis of the
2: so, canon. So, sure. So, we're not going to be opposed to the canon. Okay, we're going to go with it within the canon, <laughs> right? But it's not true because it's in the canon. It's in the canon because it's true.
1: Affirmed by the community. No,
2: the community, the 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 community just happened to put together not just the canon of scripture. It also put together. Uh, uh, a canon of the creed. It put together a polity in terms of how you're going to and worship. And also dismissed
1: parts, books that they wouldn't put in the canon because Dead they right didn't too. have the
2: ring of truth. Well, it, there was a variety of reasons why. They, see, you're asking too many questions at once. Let's <laughs> take them one at a time. So so you can say, look, you tell the story of what God has done, and that's going to be rooted in and will The best way to do it is to teach scripture. I totally agree with you. But then the question... Do with me? I totally agree with you. Totally agree, with you, totally okay, agree with you. You shouldn't... You, this is what you ought to take into your pulpit every Sunday. Yes. Right? This is the book the church has given us to say... This is you how know, we should know God. Uh, this is the way you know God, and this is how you're going to find God, and this is how you're going to be saved from your sins. Yes. Right? But the book also says things like you need to be baptized and show up for the Lord's Supper and repent of your sins. So it's not just reading a book. Stop there. <coughs> so... <laughs> But then the question is, other communities yes. make similar claims. They do. And now you're gonna to have to figure out, why do I think the revelation is here, yes. rather than over here? Yes. Now, 20th century theology has not helped us on that. Okay. Bart has been a total disaster, in my judgment on this issue, because he simply says, you, you can't ask that question, because in fact, to ask that question is to commit idolatry. And and that just gives out a, a blank cheque to anybody who's got a book and says, well, I've got the book. Yeah. So that comes back down to the debate about why do you think the revelation is here rather than there? And then you're going to have to go back to the considerations like uh, about uh, that I gave earlier that I'm not going to repeat here now. Mm-hmm. So that's the epistemic. That's that's what I would call the epistemic issue at that point. And that needs to be kept actually in the bosom of the church. The primary stuff needs to be the proclamation of the gospel the the weekly articulation, careful exegesis, pondering and application of the books of the Bible, which is why I'm on your board.
1: But isn't there something also about this book that um, you know you've got J. B. Phillips? Um, yeah, th- the
2: Ring of Truth. The book. Ring of Truth. That's a great book.
1: Um, you know that that basically affirms uh, Scripture. is it's just. The reasonableness of Scripture, is and Morrison and his his book *Who Moved the Stone*—sure, um, uh, these are kind of more, um, dare I say, empirical uh, approaches. Uh, certainly, Morrison might be a little more empirical. You know, I mean, to, to examine historically, and Collingwood, um, who you know, who, who basically justifies. The affirmation of the community, or the, or the product of the community, and putting together the Bible as it is, yeah. and, and appeals to the reasonableness of what is there.
2: Right. I, I, I agree with that. I mean, my own journey um, I mean, I had a bad dose of intellectual measles when I was a teenager. And I remember I couldn't believe in God anymore, precisely because I was a hardline empiricist and didn't know it. Mm. God is not visible, you can't taste it, the five senses mm. don't give you access to the divine. And I remember vividly coming to the point where, oh, I don't need to believe in any of this Sunday school stuff. Not that I really believed it anyway.
0: Mm.
2: And it was such a relief. I mean, I was worried that God was going to send me to hell. But there's no God. There's, why are you worried about anybody sending you to hell? Mm. And after that, I said, I'm going to think about this for three months. And one of the things that struck me, I've written about this actually, one of the things that struck me about scripture, relative to the point you've just made, is the profound realism about human nature. Now, I don't think it's just because we were brought up in Ireland where there was lots of violence and argy-bargy. It's that this book gives you a compelling account of human beings and of their inability to get out of the mess that they're in by either political or educational or social schemes, that there's, there's there's ineradicable evil that can only be sort of tackled by the divine. Now that that the realism about evil and the realism about human nature, uh, that was one of the things that said I'm not I'm not am not walking here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to think it over for three months. And the other thing was I was I was taken by the conspicuous sanctity of the people I knew, okay. which I think is a very powerful witness okay. and argument for the reality of God. That's a big deal. And so then within all of that, within all of that, I have, I had an experience of uh, a call to the ministry, which I couldn't shake. So it it, 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 it was like, and of course that's, that's, I don't want to make too much of this because it's, it's all personal relative and it's, it's not a big deal I mean, who cares about what my experience has been but what i'm agreeing with is that there's a lot of what i would call soft evidence not strict deductive inductive what you would call even empirical evidence there's a lot of very soft evidence that when taken together is extremely compelling and at the end of the day i mean what got me was the person of jesus and when I went through a period of intense skepticism as a philosophy student uh, what made me stay the course and eventually I came here to Asbury, what made me stay the course was nothing that I've seen in the philosophers and others that I'm reading and, and dislodges this figure of Jesus as someone who's not just one more Tom, Dick or Harry. I mean this, this figure is from God. <clears throat> Now, it's taken me years to figure out theologically why I would want to defend that, and I've written extensively about that. So, what I'm getting at here is that part of what's emerged in the revolution, to come back to an earlier point, the revolution in epistemology, a lot of the Enlightenment was built on, you have to have evidence. Evidence has to be strictly either inductive or deductive. We now know that those those arguments don't work. but. John Henry Newman comes along and says, what made you think, why, why would you ever think that arguments for the existence of God must be of that form? Think of all of the things that you believe in, A, without any evidence, or B, because you have softer evidence, which when you put together into a cumulative case, makes a, a powerful case, not just for the truth of the Christian faith, but for commitment to the Christian faith. And then I think, uh, there's, there's not just the evidence that you get before you come in there's also after you cross what I call a threshold you A have more problems because then why doesn't God answer a prayer atheists don't have that problem but you also have other powerful forms of evidence when you read the history of the saints when you, when you have a longer term relationship with God in which you've learned to trust God like Abram had to trust God And all of this, of course, is documented and precipitated by encountering the scriptures, but it's coming back to the crucial point, namely, and I've argued at length about this, the whole idea of not relying on softer arguments is a deep mistake. And many of the deepest convictions we have about the world, about politics, about society, about ourselves, they're not strictly deductive arguments. They are actually soft, cumulative case arguments and are very, very important. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, cool yeah, and that's the ring of truth, stuff.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I would affirm everything that you've said. Yeah, we can have that in writing. Yeah. <laughs> you have it on a podcast. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it seems to me that um, you know I, I would agree that it was the it was the community of faith that I found winsome and attractive and uh, real, wonderful Christian people whose lives.
2: Can I correct I, that? am i allowed to correct that um it wasn't the community of faith there are bad communities of faith I
1: understand. it was conspicuous that, yes.
2: sanctity that got you okay
1: okay yeah it was it was okay. it was bobby roberts it was it was eric miller it was eric miller it, it, was, was, eric yeah. miller. it, it was, was these people
2: guys. and and by the way and the, the way the argument runs if you take these saints and you ask them how come you're so good well maybe it's potty training you know well, you they did. wouldn't
1: even admit that they were good
2: exactly I mean, that's the whole point exactly but when and I they say it's the grace yeah. of God when I,
1: when I refer to the community of faith I'm not referring to the Church Catholic per se I mean in a sense uh, I have been in a sense I have been in terms of canonical understanding but when I you know the winsomeness of the, of the community are those people who were deeply committed to Jesus exactly Christ
2: right. exactly and
1: right. um, and they were they were inspirations to me as a youngster but, it but you, didn't let,
2: you, didn't, you didn't let me finish my point about the argument. <laughs> okay. All right? You can have a, a, a various ways of trying to explain this all naturalistically. Yeah. You know, if they had different childhood experiences, might have, they, with that would take care of it. Or maybe it's a matter of education. And they all say no. <laughs> they say no. And A, I'm not a good person at all. Yes. And any goodness in me is entirely due to the grace of God. Yes. Which is an explanation in terms of the activity of God the action of God and then you learned in the Christian community and in the scriptures what is that action? Oh, it's the action of the Holy Spirit and then you're off to the races Mm -hmm. to figure out all of the fullness of what the Holy Spirit wants to do and of course you're going to have to draw on scripture to fill that out so that's how that works well argument.
1: I would just say that um, when it comes to um, you know this this initial attraction as you call people's sanctity um, Mm -hmm. That was so attractive. Uh, that was the door that opened the way to begin this quest for the knowledge of God, and uh, and then when you go through that door, you find other things. This cumulative effect that you've been talking about, right. and um, and Scripture itself. So when you get to a point of uh, of becoming a serious student of God's Word, right. the 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 absolute beauty of Scripture, how it how it hangs together, uh, the message it conveys, the way it's conveyed, um, it just blows one's mind. And, and that seems to me to uh, uh, again, written by a member of the community of faith, um, explaining their understanding, their, their appreciation of their, the message they want to convey about who God is, impressing upon uh, us in our day and generation that for these documents that they are thousands of years old. Um, there is a way to know God, and uh, this, is how, this is how one can know, can know him. Um, and, and that forms the basis of our ministry, which uh, we're excited about.
0: Would you be able to agree that um, inductive and epistemological approaches can work hand in, hand in hand?
2: Yes. I mean, I'm totally with Alan on um, the project that's behind us. Um, which is that you've got to study the text in detail, you've got to study it in its context, you've got to figure out what was the intention and the aim of the author. The author has certain means whereby that's expressed. That's what we have access to. At the end of the day to study scripture means that you take what these writers said, what they intended, what they meant, and that's your first task. And in Dr. Bible study Is brilliant at at opening that up in a way and in fact you can use it for any text so yes and the deductive thing is then you know when you have all of this material you've got to make judgments about what's the significance of it and then you will use all kinds of reasoning reasoning to the best explanation you will have you'll you'll say given a then B follows and so on and so forth and you have to wrestle with different deductions that were being made from Scripture, which is why within the church there's so much disagreement at times. And uh, we just got to grow up and, li- and live with that.
0: Wow. Well, this has been enlightening, to <laughs> say the least. Uh, thank you, Dr. William Abraham and Dr. Alan Mien, uh, for your insight and uh, wisdom and uh, banter. It was very fun to fun to watch. Um, it's been very, very revealing from beginning to end. You've been listening to The Word is Out, a podcast on a mission featuring Dr. Alan Meenan. If you'd like to know more about The Word is Out, visit us online at www.thewordisout.com. You can also keep up to date through our Facebook page. We'll be back with another podcast soon.